The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Good afternoon and welcome to uh, the forum today. My name is Russell Matthews. We want to welcome you to today's talk from Mark Hadley, The Hero Who Never Dies, Why Resurrection is Standard Hero Equipment. This month uh, we've been doing The Forum Goes to the Flicks. We have a panel discussions and then also speakers that kind of come from the industry to be able to look at uh, the opportunity kind of considering where maybe film and the Bible maybe intersect but today, if it's your first time coming along, just want to kind of make sure you kind of understand what you should expect today. Um, today, uh, Mark's going to come up. We're going to have him here in a minute and introduce him, kind of do a few questions about him. And then he'll give a talk for about 25 minutes or so. During that time, we encourage you to listen and, and go along with Mark as far as some of the different passages that he has here. But also, if you have questions for him based on his topic today, um, write down your questions on the small slip of paper on the inside of your outline. Or on the screen, there'll be an SMS number that you can send over um, any questions that you may have for Mark. Then after his talk, we'll uh, kind of engage with Mark for a little bit on some of the key points that he's brought out and some of the key questions that you have. Our goal will be to be done by 10 to the hour so that uh, you'll be able to get back to work on time without any problems. So, uh, Mark, do you want to come on up and I'll uh, introduce you. How are you? Good, good. Thanks, good, good. <laughs> Thanks man. Hey, um, why don't you, there's a bio inside if you're interested in finding out a little bit more about Mark. But why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? What What is your interest or what sure. is your interest in this whole thing? Well, basically, I'm a script writer. So that's what I do for a living. Uh, and I specialize mainly in documentary writing. So uh, most of my uh, material is historical or religious-oriented, which means I basically spend a lot of time in the Middle East or around parts of Europe. Um, next to lots of sort of old buildings. That seems to be my, my forte, old, me and old buildings. Oh, yeah, so you feel comfortable in here. Oh, I'm yeah, so uh, at home here. Sandstone, yeah, yeah, all right, perfect. Now, so you have family. Yes, I've yeah. got a, a wife, lovely Maya, who actually uh, was uh, a researcher on a television program I was working for, and it actually seemed much simpler, in fact, cheaper in the long term to marry her rather than hire her. And so uh, she's perfect. marvelous. Uh, and we have three boys, Jacob, Elijah, and Noah. Great. Now, you... I have an interesting story yeah, about getting to, go, getting to go to school and go. I thought you raised come this. To, yeah. come, come to school. There. I don't know if any of you have ever had this experience from which you go to school uh, for your kids' class, about like first class or third class or something, and it's introduced dad and what does dad do for a living. Uh, I did this for one of my sons, and we we're standing in the classroom, and on one side of me I had. Uh, a plumber was this guy who actually, you know, it was very easy to understand what he did. Uh, and then there was another guy here, and he worked in a box factory. He managed this box factory, and that was great. He made cardboard boxes. Kids could understand that too. And Mr. Hadley, what do you do? And look, I spent half my time writing, and the other half of my time literally watching television, you know, and things like that. So I just said, I watch TV for the li for a living, you know, and. There was a, sort of a, a bit of a misunderstanding. No one really knew what to do with that. But later, when my wife was picking up the kids from school, um, all these mums were coming up and saying, my son wants to do what your husband does for a living. <laughs> what does he do? You know, so, yeah, I guess um, I watch TV for a living. But generally, go. I've got out my pajamas this morning to help <laughs> you guys. So I'm very we're happy We're very thankful on. for that. Thank Actually, yeah. Thanks for being here today, Mark, and I'll let you Good. go ahead. Yep. Thanks. Guys, you can do me a small favour. Um, if you uh, receive one of those handouts, uh, just pick it up and uh, have a look at it, open it up inside, 
Whoop. And you'll see that there are two things that just need a quick edit. Uh, one of them is one of the passages that we'll be looking at today, uh, and that's into the uh, one on the top of the second page. You can take a pen if you've got one, scrub that out. Actually, I won't be using that one today. Uh, this is what happens when you ask a scriptwriter for his notes, you know, weeks before he actually has to do something. I never make my decision until the very last moment. The other thing that can be really helpful is look on the left-hand side, and you'll see there's a picture of me. If you've still got that pen handy, just draw some hair in. That would be... It really is time that I do some of those promo shots again. Uh, anybody who actually is found doing bags under the eyes, though, that's just cruel. So that would be un- unhelpful. Guys, what we're going to be talking about today uh, is really close to my heart. It's basically uh, film and television and the sort of patterns that develop in film and television. As I said, I'm a scriptwriter, and so I deal with writing scripts and stories, um, both fictional and information-based, you know, for pretty much the last 30 years or so. And so it's well worth sort of thinking, uh, after all those decades, do any patterns really rise to the surface? And I honestly believe there are. Um, Otherwise, I don't know how I'm paying my mortgage, but it's true, there are. Uh, Here's one which I think you might recognise. Consider this scene. Uh, There are figures wrestling, maybe desperately together, near the edge of a cliff. Uh, Or maybe they're not near the edge of the cliff, maybe out the front of a building and there's a hail of gunfire, or maybe in the background there's, in fact, uh, a huge explosion going on. Uh, And, you know, it really doesn't matter, actually, because the best films probably have all three happening at the same time, the cliff, the gunfire, the the explosion. Uh, And the fellow who you've been rooting for all along in this film, the hero, suddenly kind of makes a bit of a roll and disappears over that defining edge. And we don't get to see him anymore. And there's a part of us that lurches at that point. We go, what? Dead? He's dead? He's gone? He was the hope for the whole film? How is she now going to get that pink Cadillac? How is he going to get to school again? How is is everybody going to get home safely? But there's another part of us too that knows that's not the case. If we could, we'd sort of, if we weren't respecting everybody's silence so much in cinemas, we might say, what? In fact, like my nine-year-old son is plainly keen on doing every time he goes to one of those moments. And it really wouldn't matter if it was a cliff uh, it could be an airlock. We've seen that one before. It could be, look, it could be the chasms of Moria. You know, it could be Gandalf rolling over the edge. Whatever the setting, our hero has crossed this undefined and yet irrevocable line. You know, on this side, life. On that side, death. And there is no coming back over it. But as we sort of expect in, heart, in part of our hearts too, for the millionth time since Cecil B. DeMille was a young boy, this grimy hand sort of claps the edge and drags and then a face appears. And yes, the hero is back. He's crawling back over that abyss of nothing. And weary and triumphant, he, or maybe she, if it's Sigourney Weaver, she seems to do a lot of this too, uh, has, is returned back from that place that no one was supposed to return from. And that is resurrection, Hollywood style. Uh, If you don't know what the word resurrection is, you can be forgiven. It's kind of a religious word. But basically it means rising from the dead. And you might not be familiar with the word, but I guarantee you're familiar with those scenes, seeing heroes rise. And in the great heroic tales, the sort of super heroic tales, you see that resurrection again and again and again. You might have been thinking of it as I was describing it. Maybe you knew one of the films that matched. Maybe you were thinking of Indiana Jones and the... Well, actually, it doesn't really matter which Indiana Jones film does it. It's just any, any one of them will do. Um, or maybe you had a much more recent film in mind. I don't know if you've gone off to the pictures and seen uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, you know, and Caesar who... Do- 
There may be spoilers in this talk for those people who have not seen these films. In any case, we'll just move on, and you can take it as read that these things are absolutely standard hero equipment. And that's what resurrection is, standard hero equipment. As a scriptwriter, we do not rely on brilliance all day long. I would be in a sad state if, in fact, we did. Uh, what we do is we rely very much on patterns. And I can tell you that for thousands of years, uh, you know, long before, in fact, films were invented, there was a very well and tried and tested arc for the great heroic journey. Uh, and this is very, very familiar. In fact, if you go to the cinemas, you can tick this off. I'll give you the points. The first one is within about 10 or 15 minutes, you'll meet the hero. This is someone you're supposed to identify with. Generally speaking, in the best films, there's just one, and that's the person who's going to teach us something important about life. But then the problem arises, that which you know, brings out the lesson. Something has happened. You know, like I said, we could be in space, we could be in a domestic home, but there it is. Um, the problem has arisen, and the problem usually gets worse. So maybe the hero's up a tree for some reason, uh, and now someone starts throwing rocks at him, or there's a bear at the bottom, or you know, the tree is looking weak and is about to fall over. And finally comes the resolution, and that's where the arc ends, where we learn what it is that the hero is going to teach us about getting on in life, what we actually need. Now, these stages can come in all sorts of shapes and sizes, and colouring in what the stage looks like is pretty much what a scriptwriter does. But if you stick to this arc, it's amazing how repetitively successful a story or a film can be. The unchanging variable, though, is the hero. There are some things about the hero that just basically always have to be true. And I'm going to give you three of them now. It doesn't really matter if he's got claws popping out of his hands this week or a shield next week or, or anything, really. These great heroes have a few things in common. One of them, and the first one, is that he is a lover. You know, the hero is intensely in love with something. It doesn't really matter what, but very early on in the film, we're going to discover that their heart is captured by something. Now, it could be... Uh, a deep and abiding sense of justice, you know, or it could be uh, truth, you know, maybe it's a journalist story, or it could be country, or it could even be an ideal like freedom. You know, the most regular one, though, is it's another person, heart to heart, that this person is deeply and abidingly in love with somebody else. And if you've just seen the recent remake of Tarzan, you know, if you've got kids and you've been dragged to yet another animation, uh, the recent remake of Tarzan is just classic, where you see there's Tarzan in the jungle. He saves Jane from, you know, who's uh, just lost her way from a viper bite. And the moment their eyes meet, you know the deep and abiding love has arrived. And this is going to be what Tarzan is going to be striving for for the entire film. The important thing is that the hero can be trusted because he's a lover. We know what love is, and as human beings, we understand devotion, and so we can trust him. It doesn't even matter if it's one of those supposed anti-heroes, like you know, Vin Diesel is, is really famous for presenting. You know, Riddick, this great anti-hero he's introduced us to, is really in love with freedom, you know, and, and the ability to choose and live a life, you know, that you define. There's some love. We can trust him because we know what love is and he knows what love is. The second thing about a hero, though, is that at some point he is going to be sacrificial. You see, at some point all the guns and the swords and the magic words and, and, and the insights and all those sorts of things, even his bravery, is just going to fail him. It's not going to be enough. And at some point that hero is going to trade himself for the love. For the sake of the love, he will lay himself down. You know, recently, I don't know if we've got any sort of Marvel comic film, tran you know, transition 
fans here, but if you saw the Avengers, um, you'll be familiar with Captain America. And if you saw even more recently, the Winter Soldier, sort of the follow-up from Captain America. Um, Captain America places himself in this amazing... He's clearly the hero, by the way. He's the one with the great big star. Okay, so he places himself in this amazing situation where he allows his former best friend called Bucky, who's been brainwashed to working for the enemy, you know how these things work, uh, to basically pummel him almost to the point of death just to prove that his friendship is strong enough to survive this. I think there are better ways. I would have sent a card, maybe flowers. That could have done it. But that is, he's actually prepared to risk his life for the sake of the love of his friend. Okay, And this is where you see the other big element that the hero has to contend with come in, and that is death. You see, death is the great barrier which every hero comes up against, which every human being comes up against. The hero has to come up with an answer to death. Now, the death might not necessarily be physical. It could actually be the death of a career. It could be the death of a hope, an aspiration. One day I always thought I was going to write this symphony or something like that. You know, but he's going to sacrifice that for the sake of the beloved. And that's when we come to the really interesting thing about the hero. You see, in those great superhero storylines, what we can't get away from is that even though the hero dies, the hero will rise again. You see, Hollywood tries to make, and some, occasionally Hollywood tries to make death attractive. There was a film a few years ago you might have seen uh, called Creation. It was about the life of, of Charles Darwin. And death figured fairly prominently in that film. And they tried really hard to make death look like a natural part of life. And the film was a complete and utter failure. And not just because Paul Bettany can't act to save his life. It was just, it was really just the, the premise was too much to stretch to. That death could be something natural. Okay, uh, or more recently, um, I won't say if you're a, a, a female member of the audience, but if it just so happened that you saw The Fault in Our Stars, which is a story, a love story about struggling, uh, two teenagers struggling on the edge of death. You know, they have terminal diseases and they have to face death. They tried to make death look like, the acceptance of death look like a brave thing. But really, in the end, the fact that the film elicited so many tears at the end just went to prove that death was a sad thing, you know, not something that we could all come to terms with. We can't accept death, and we certainly can't accept death in our favourite stories. So Sherlock Holmes does not stay in the grave. Harry Potter does not stay in the grave. We've got to get them out. You know, we hunger for a resurrection moment, and most films oblige. You know, a couple of months back, if you'd seen the X-Men, Days of Future Past, you would have had the wonderful opportunity of seeing Wolverine die in the past, present and future and resurrect three times because we just can't get enough of a superhero who will not die. This resurrection moment, though, the best ones have something else tied to them. You see, the hero doesn't just come back for the sake of the hero to prove a point. You can't kill me. I'm unkillable. Wolverine would get pretty boring after a while if that was all he was going to do, walk through flaming walls of fire and things like that just because he can't die. No, the hero comes back for us. He comes back to save us. And so if you have a look at Indiana Jones, he's climbing over that cliff. Who is he climbing over the cliff for? Because he doesn't like hanging on cliffs? No, he's climbing over for Willie Scott, you know, to save her. Gandalf returns to Middle-earth to save Middle-earth, okay? And if and when we see the final instalments of the Hunger Games, Katniss Everdeen is going to come back, even though everybody thinks she's dead, for the sake of all of those people that she's left behind, not because you can't keep a good woman down. Now, these are the things that we have to keep in mind. 
as you notice these films, as the arc plays out, the hero comes back to defeat death and we expect his, his return to have implications for everybody he left behind. Wow. Now, there you go. That's sort of sort of thing I would cram in a couple of days of lecturing and communication and stuff like that. I hope you feel well topped up to the full. But let me stop for a moment and just say there's a real danger in understanding how, how all these arcs work. Um, let me see if I can illustrate. I'm learning Japanese at the moment. This is mainly an attempt to keep Alzheimer's at bay. But I'm learning Japanese because, you know, I'm, I'm interested in the culture and I'm writing something at the moment, a project that requires me to really immerse myself in that culture. And I got really excited the other day because I learned a word that I hadn't learned before and it was called, uh, it's kawaii. And, and I thought, fantastic, now I know the word for pretty. And I immediately turned and applied it to the student who was beside me. Um, they had a picture of their family. And I said, oh, your daughter is, is quiet. You know, she's, she's very quiet. Um, what I should have said was kawaii. Okay, very subtle. Okay, but the difference was I actually told him that his daughter was actually very scary. Now, <laughs> Here is my point. Um, you have to be careful, especially when you think you know everything there is to know about a topic. So when you pick up these storylines and you suddenly see these arcs and you think to yourself, I can just apply this to anything I read now, the danger is a really postmodern one. And that is that you think that everything that looks like a story is in fact a story. But the truth is that stories have always been teaching tools. They point to something. Do you remember when I said at the very beginning, we actually had this idea of the great lesson the hero was taking us through? Well, there is a reason that these things are told. And sometimes what we think is actually just another story is, in fact, the point. Okay, so, for example, if you've ever thought of applying these sort of story techniques to the Bible, you know, it's a text. Uh, it's one of, of many holy books. I've spent the last... 15 years at least really studying holy books from religions across the planet as I write documentaries and things like that. And it's just very interesting. You could say to yourself, okay, well, I can take this story feature and I can apply that. If you have a look at the handout that I, I gave you, um, you'll see there's a passage from 1 Corinthians. This is the first one. Let me just sort of have a quick look at some of these bits of it. Uh, so I'm reading out from the 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For what I received, I passed on to you. So this is a fellow called Paul writing. What I received, I passed on to you. Oh, okay, so there's this, maybe there's this tradition or this epic story he's passed on. As of first importance, that Christ died. Okay, so we've got the hero and he's died for our sins. According to the scriptures, he was buried. Okay, so he's crossed that irre irrevocable line and he was raised on the third day. Well, isn't that just the resurrection arc? Are we expecting that in the storyline? Well, have a look at Mark 8. It's just underneath it. Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer. So we know the hero is the Son of Man. He's got to suffer. He's going to get up a tree. Uh, he's going to be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he's going to be killed. Okay, so now they're throwing stones in him. It's got even worse. And then he's going to rise again. Well, isn't that just the ark? Again, the great heroic ark. And so some philosophers have actually looked at the Bible and said this is just a wonderful example of the same storylines we've been observing through cultures throughout time all over the planet. The problem is, though, and I can say this fairly authoritatively, is that having read many of those sacred texts for quite a long time now, they're really quite different. You can't just lump them all into one category. So the Bible presents itself as a history, not as a story. Predominantly, it's setting itself in quite uh, verifiable time and place. So the Bible accounts are placed in 
places not like Moria, but like first century Palestine and Jerusalem. And look how strongly Jesus' key disciples greet this news. Have a look at Mark 8.32 again. The response to Jesus speaking plainly about these things in verse 32 is, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Rule number one in writing any script, know your audience. If Jesus is telling a story here that people should somehow accept and just embrace as a teaching tool, he's got the audience wildly wrong. Peter is not going to be buying tickets here. You see, interestingly, Jesus is speaking into a culture that has no heritage of a hero rising from the dead. Now, that is crazily unique in in terms of, of human cultures. It's amazing. Now, the Jews did have a a culture of there being a resurrection at the end of time in which everybody would get up together and God would judge all humanity. But they had no idea that the Messiah, that's their chief hero um, in their culture, who was finally going to come, was actually going to die and rise again. So that's what you see Peter reacting to, this incredibly unfamiliar idea. But does Jesus say, I'm sorry, I got the story wrong there. You're right. What I mean to say is that this is, no, what he says is this is actually God's plan in the strongest possible terms. He says, you've got it so wrong, you might as well be Satan. You know, and so it also explains to some degree why Paul, who's writing in the Corinthians, feels the need to not just present this great arc, which we kind of recognize, but also tie it into human history. So have a look back at 1 Corinthians 15, and what does he say? Uh, And then Jesus appeared to Cephas, to the 12, to more than 500, to James, to all the apostles, and finally to me. He's not trying to say this is a story. He's trying to say this is an event. Now, This is where I really feel like it's important that if you want to follow something and see it at the cinemas and then maybe have a look and and compare it with what you're seeing at the Bible, you make this distinction. You see, the Bible's resurrection story is not just another one of those many heroic stories. Let me suggest that those stories actually prepare us for the Bible's resurrection story. Like, Like breadcrumbs scattered through history that we might follow it to the actual destination. Let me see if I can illustrate this by using a film, because why not? I'm a scriptwriter. If anybody has seen the film a couple of years ago called Prometheus, anyone? The, yeah, there you go. So it's, it's like the Ridley Scott reboot of the Alien franchise. Anyway, if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert. Okay, there's this actress called Numi Rapace, and she stars as an archaeologist called Elizabeth Shaw. And she discovers amongst all of these cultures separated across the planet and time who've never had contact with each other, these star maps, and she interprets the same, and they're the same star maps, and she interprets these indications that the creators, whoever they are, would actually like us to be in touch with them. Now, truth be told, things don't work out terribly well for Numi, so that is actually a horror movie if you want to follow it through. But all over the world, we're actually seeing the same thing. We're seeing a scattering of the same story types, the same hero, you know, a loving, sacrificial, death-defeating hero. You'll find them separated by time and culture. Cultures have had nothing to do with each other. You'll find them manufactured fresh for your cinema and for the bookshelves. You'll find them there, the hero who's above all a lover, who faces death so that those he loves don't have to and rises from the dead to complete their salvation. Does that sound familiar? Well, it should. Because you see, the story continues to resonate again and again with us in a multitude of forms because it was actually written large as life in first century Palestine. Jesus came, Jesus died, and he rose, not simply just to prove a point, but with a benefit in mind for everybody else. Look, if you like, 
the best elements of those great heroic tales that we like are like a shattered mirror. You know, some of them are less clear than others. They're fragments still. But if you assemble all of those fragments, the picture you come up with is that Bible picture, that final picture. And admittedly, I'd like to say that, you know, if you look at the Lego mirror, uh, Lego movie, well, Emmett, you know, pint-sized Emmett returning uh, from the edge of the abyss, uh, courtesy of the man upstairs, is a pretty dim picture of Jesus rising from the dead for the sake of humanity. But the real wonder is not that this picture appears again and again and again in the same form and has done for thousands of years, and yet suddenly we, we notice it. The real wonder is the fact that even though these stories come again and again and again, we tend to not pay a great deal of attention to the one time where it actually happened in history. Guys, I'm open to questions at this point, and I think Russell's going to take some that have been texted in. Oh, there you go. Well, thanks so much, Mark. I'm wondering oh, where thanks. that voice came yeah. from. He's over there. There you go. Yeah, I know. Hello, Mark. No. Well, actually, the first question that came across was um, you were, because in reference to so many films that kind of do have kind of a resurrection theme, some, one of them would be maybe well-known was The Matrix, somebody wrote about The Matrix. What's the danger of applying, because many people kind of thought, oh, this is a Christian film or has a Christian kind of idea about it. What, what, what are the challenges with that or even maybe the benefits of maybe putting that kind of storyline let, let me address the benefits first, okay? The best things, from, from a Christian perspective, okay, I'm a Christian uh, film writer, so I make no apologies for that. From, the, from my perspective, the best things you will see in film can often provide wonderful insights into how we should feel about God or how we should uh, approach some of the ideas that you'll find you know, mirrored or picked up in, or explained in Scripture. But here's the danger. You see, when I write um, for a visual medium, I, I mean, I write for other mediums. I write for print as well. When I write for a visual medium, I don't aim to teach you all of the information about a topic. What I tend to do is try and change the way you feel about a topic. Let me see if I can illustrate that. So, uh, Saving Private Ryan... Uh, may not be the best uh, document to go to to get everything you need to know about World War II, but it certainly is a wonderful way to understand how to feel about the sacrifices that were made. Likewise, the Matrix can actually shift our way of thinking about a hero who actually gives up everything, or maybe in this case, in that story, a man who realises that the world is actually a construct and the real world is something he thought was just a fairy tale sitting behind everything. You know, so that's fantastic for, as an illustration of what life is really like if the spiritual world is really real. Okay? But if you go to the Matrix and try and build the first church of Neo, you're in real trouble because you're not going to get everything you need. You know, right. So that's basically what I'd say. Okay. Well, great. I forgot to remind you, if, if anybody does have any written questions, I, Craig will be able to pick those up for you if you'd like. Um, if you Just hold your hand up if you have any questions, and we'll get those up here to Mark. Also, if you still want to, the, the SMS number is there on the screen, so if you do want to send in an SMS question, you can do that also. All right, here's one of the written questions. How come Muhammad, Buddha, Moses, Zoroaster don't come back from the dead? Um, look, there's, there's a different answer for almost every one of those, so I just have to be very careful because I'm now going to make some broad sweeping statements. Those that place themselves um, in quite mythic circumstances, so uh, Buddha does not place, the, the writings that tell us about Buddha do not place him in a historical context. Okay, it's very hard to track down when any of these things happened or where they happened. It's not, it's not placed that way. You know, if you compare it with, say, a biblical account, 
the Bible writers are sometimes, gee, annoying in the way that they want to say it was in this person's reign at this particular place on that side of the river and that sort of stuff. So they go to a lot of trouble. But Buddha, for example, doesn't. And you will find that he has. Um, there are, in that tradition, uh, stories about Buddha reaching back from the beyond in order to actually sort of inform his teachers. Mm. But nothing verifiable in history. So in that regard, no, terribly different from the Matrix, okay? You know, in that level. Uh, I hope I'm not insulting people. I'm just being very broad in the way I'm describing this. However, if you go the other way and have a look at Islam, for example, now, Muhammad does place a lot of his... A lot that is known about Muhammad is placed in historical context, but it is not risked, I would say. There is no uh, attempt to say that Muhammad came back from the dead. In fact, history is it, Christianity is a very interesting religion historically because it actually places its head on a chopping block and says, have a go, you know, at the history of it. Uh, and I've spent, well, at least the last 15 years writing documentaries about it, and, and I've yet to see a convincing swing that knocked the head off. Okay. Right, ready for the next question? I hope so. Are you saying that Hollywood has taken the resurrection idea from Christianity? Not necessarily. Um, what I'm actually saying is something, well, you might have to bend your mind around a little harder to get. I'm actually trying to say that culture itself is drawn from an ultimate author who had this in mind all along. Okay, because you will find resurrection stories predating, uh, you know, 0 or 33 AD. Right. You'll find them there. Uh, and yet they are shadow-like. They're not complete in their details. And, and in fact, if anything, I would say that the lens comes into quite strong focus in 33 AD, and we see a lot of these elements picked up in the best way. And in fact, to be honest, the clearest way. So Hollywood is, in fact, when we talk about Hollywood, we're actually talking about a place. So we're talking about, you know, the West Coast, uh, California, and that is an industry, and that is from a Christian culture. So yes, there are any number of stories which Hollywood picks up that are really pilfered biblical lines. But I don't, want to, I don't want to tie it to that because you'll find these stories being repeated through cultures quite separate from the west coast of, of California. Okay. Yeah, thankfully, not everything's out of no, California. No, not everything yes. is tied to California. That's <laughs> great. All right. Um, you were talking about breadcrumbs or kind of the idea of the breadcrumbs going. Do you have any insight into why people don't follow the breadcrumbs that you've mentioned? You yeah. i um, reiterate that again. Look, I'll do my best here. Um, why people don't do things, you know, again, let me just make a sweeping statement about humanity and, and you can sort of take it as that. Um, there's a problem in the script and this is the problem. Uh, if you read the Bible as a script, okay, or just as a story, you'll find very, very quickly that humanity is not the hero. In fact, humanity is like crewman number nine. You know, it's just this person on the side who's desperately in need of, of rescue. And that is a very hard position to come to as a human being because the whole point of, of Hollywood scripts, and there is a point on which we jump the tracks, is that the hero is someone we can identify with and hopefully aspire to be. We end up being the hero. We want to be Captain America. We want to be Sigourney Weaver. We would do that, wouldn't we? You know, that's how we feel. But if you read the Bible in that light, you'll find very quickly that the hero is, in fact, Jesus. And so when people come to that, they actually have to realise they're not even, maybe they're not even the innocent bystander. Maybe they're actually the perpetrator who gets one last chance to be on the good side. You know, the interesting thing is if people actually followed that story all the way through that way as a script, they would find that the ending is far better than they think because humanity actually gets to be part of the, the royal wedding party at the end or, or part of the royal family. Uh, but... Giving up the idea of being the good guy is a really hard thing for people to do. And that's why I think it's, there's a certain resistance to that storyline. 
Um, I'm just going to send one more question, see if there's any it, before. But is there any questions from the floor anybody wants to ask? No? All right. As a script writer and also as an author of books and, and such, um, the Bible's kind of unique in the sense that you wouldn't necessarily maybe say go right to the beginning and start there and work your way and plow your way through till the end. No, because somewhere in Leviticus you'll lose all hope. Right. <laughs> That's right. So what... Where would you probably recommend if you were to actually see, look You've at the story? You've got to remember that the, the Bible is a library, okay? So we actually have a collection of books. But if I was going to say to you, hey, I, you said to me, I have no experience with the Bible. I'd like to read one. Uh, give me a bit. I'd say, look, there's two I would probably say. Firstly, I'd say Mark, okay? Because the good thing about Mark is it's basically the same length to read as an average film. So you can watch, you can read Mark from beginning to end in about two hours. So if you can set aside time for a film, you can set aside time to read Mark. And you'll see this fantastic story. It's incredible. You'll actually meet Jesus in the process. And, you know, you also have bragging rights. I think that's always good. Lots of people talk about Jesus and things they've heard about Jesus. You'll actually be able to say, and this is not just my opinion, but the opinion of secular scholars across the world, that the most reliable and earliest authentic document on Jesus' life that we have access to is the Gospel of Mark. So you can actually say, I've actually read the source documents. That's good. But if you want a real story, and then you can have an argument with Christian friends. Well worth doing. But if you haven't read one and you really like a story, oh, I've got to say, it's really hard to get past John. Okay, now this is one of those epic ones, so it's about three and a half film, three and a half hours film sort of thing. Read John, and I defy you not to get to chapter eight and go, no! Okay, there's this moment where everything is rising up and, and Jesus, his career, if you like, is launched and it's getting better and better. And then he reveals his identity, who he actually thinks he is, the son of God. And it says, and they picked up stones to stone him. And then you know that from that moment, we are in trouble, you know, and, and to watch that and to see what happens in history and then to get to the end and realize it happened as opposed to it was just a, a cracking good read. You know, it's an amazing thing. Right. There you go. Well, can you give me a moment just to say thank you to Mark for being here today? And thanks so much, It was Mark. a pleasure. Thank you. It was great. Well, just uh, want to um, kind of draw your attention to a couple things um, coming up here in the coming weeks. Let me just grab my notes real quick for myself. Um, one thing that should be inside of your outlines or on the table that's available uh, today, uh, we're looking towards uh, the welcome lunch. Anyone who's been coming along to City Bible Forum, maybe it's your first time coming along, uh, and you'd like to kind of find out a little bit more about what we do, um, also kind of what it is that um, City Bible Forum, what it's all on about, and actually get to meet um, one of our speakers, I believe Ian Powell. I think you're at this one, as a matter of fact, it's coming up. Yeah. So uh, definitely worthwhile coming along on the 29th of July. Um, the details as far as how you would register for for that it's free so also you're more than welcome to come and join us and uh, be able to have opportunity to meet ian and then ask some different questions about what we do the broader perspective of what we do at the forum um, we'd encourage you to come along to that so please take time to register it doesn't matter if you've been coming along to city bible forum for the past 10 years or just for the past week we'd really encourage you to come along to the welcome lunch on the 29th of july from one to two also coming up at the forum um oh 
Oh, actually, yep. Um, on the 30th, and, and Ian Powell, once again, there's your face. Um, we're going to be involved in the short course for the curious. One of the things that Mark brought up here today was just talking about engaging with the whole idea and, and who this Jesus is, finding out more about the Bible and Christianity. Well, the short course for the curious is a great way for you to be able to do that. Or if there's somebody that you know that would be interested. On the 30th of July, um, Ian's going to be going through and starting, a, it's a short course, of going through and looking at the life of Jesus and finding out what that means to you and also what that means to others um, and specifically who he was. And so uh, looking at some of the historical documents and why Jesus even matters. So if you're interested, there, the details are in the inside of your outline. Please fill that out in this hand that leave it right there on your table and we'll make sure we get you uh, registered for that also. And then finally, um, in August, we're going to be uh, going along with the cosmic chemistry event that we have with uh, Professor John Lennox. We also are going to be doing Science Month at, uh, at here at the Forum. And uh, fortunately, we have with us during most of the month will be Dr. Lewis Jones. Um, he's going to be actually speaking into kind of some of the different ideas of kind of where faith, especially Christianity and science, actually really mix. And uh, some of the different challenges of that, looking at some of the different components of what that really looks like. And we're going to have a panel discussion, and we've just been finalizing the details, and we'll have that announced here pretty soon, who's going to be on that panel during Science Week, which will be the third week there in August. And just as another, just a plug, is just we encourage you to um, come along to the Professor Lennox event that will be on the uh, 25th of August from 7 to 9 right here at Town Hall. Um, definitely worthwhile in coming along and hearing from Professor Lennox. Well, next week we finish up with um, our, the Forum at the Flicks, and Ben McKechn will be our speaker next week, and he'll be looking at what makes a movie legendary, the greatest movie of all time. So uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you again, Mark, for being here today, and we hope to see you all then. Bye. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city, or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.